the thing that's most active in my mind right now is just don't wildly overthink and overcomplicate stuff. Like there's, there's something to be said about keeping things super, super basic and consistent. Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm Matt Landis and this week's episode is part two of my conversation with NFL handicapper Adam Chernoff. We pick things up by getting into the betting legalization landscape in Adam's home country of Canada as well as in the United States, and then we make a quick pivot to Adam's experience making casino games with a connection to sports betting. And from there, we do a deep dive on the betting content space. We kick it off by discussing an odd screen that Adam's in the process of creating. And no conversation on the betting content space would be complete without touching on the greatest betting content creator of all time, so we reflect on the legacy of the legendary David Malinsky. We also touch on books as a tried-and-true medium, and get some insight from Adam on the books that have helped him the most as a better. And we wrap it up with a thorough rundown on Adam's best betting content recommendations, including Twitter follows and podcasts you won't want to miss. And last but not least, Adam speaks to the value of simplicity as his biggest advice to bettors. I gotta say, it's pretty on brand coming from the man who hosts a podcast called The Simple Handicap. Quick heads up, if you missed part one last week, you can find it as episode 54 in the show feed. We explored Adam's fascinating background as well as his NFL betting process. And one housekeeping note before we cut to the conversation, for free picks driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, check out the cutting edge quick pick section at dimers.com. You can find a link in the show notes, so go ahead and see where you want to get down on the Dimers bot's biggest edges across all the biggest sports. And now... Enjoy part two of my conversation with NFL handicapper, Adam Chernoff. I feel like I'd be remiss not to ask you about uh, some recent legalization news in Canada. I'm wondering if you could give a quick overview on, on what's going on with the betting landscape there and any possible impact for you. So... Part of, so I am the product manager for covers. I think people know by now, but if they don't, so very popular forum that's been around forever. Um, they're based in Nova Scotia here in Canada. And they're, they're one of the biggest affiliates in the entire betting industry. And like, I didn't realize that it was a 65 person company that with like just brilliant people throughout the entire staff. And like just the wealth of experience and knowledge is, is unbelievable and partnerships with the biggest sports books. And they have a, a sort of a, a mandate within the company that was installed recently after they were bought out of just making the best user experience possible. And so they removed all of the ads from the website. There's still links to sports books to take players there, but there's nothing forced on players. It's, it's the opposite of a certain network. I think we all are aware of out there. So it's just, it's all about the user and the experience. And so the reason I was so excited to take that position was in foreseeing this potential legalization that was pending here in Canada. Um, 
And so it was about a month ago the bill was passed to allow single game betting within Canada, which was essentially like the PASPA moment was that three Mays ago now in the U.S. So we're kind of we're at that stage now like it was in the U.S. as May of 2018, 2017, mm-hmm. whatever year it was. Um, so that's where we are now. The big difference between Canada and where the U.S. was is the presence of the local credit bookmakers here within Canada is far, far less than that that existed and still exists in the United States. So that sort of underlying network isn't really there. And we also have open access to a number of large sports books around the world, Pinnacle, Bet365, have always accepted Canadians, Betway, handful of others. They've always accepted Canadians. You can play with your bank card. So like, it's not like this hard on-off switch has been flipped. What gets sort of complicated too, to an extent, is every province or state, or sort of region within the country, um, has their own sports lottery system intertwined within the province where you can bet on all the major sports and play games of pools and things like that. And it's exists in all the gas stations, all of the grocery stores, all of the pharmacies, like all the major sort of contact points in daily lives for shoppers and consumers. And so that all exists offline primarily. It's all done with like Scantron sheets and it's very sort of archaic and how it operates, but it's a complete monopoly by these provinces. And so when we look at the landscape of Canada, there's this existing online playing presence that is played at a number of big sports books. And there's also this existing presence of players that plays locally in all of these stores. And so when obviously the provinces will switch it to States, if you're listening in the U S and you're not sure, but like they get to decide the legislation within their area of how sports betting is going to look. And so there's a question of are operators going to move in or is this going to be at the province and government level first because that's what exists now? Are they going to be first to take a crack at it? There's just a lot of uncertainty. There's very few regulations that have been proposed. There's questions. We're not allowed as Canadians to use credit cards for gaming, but we can use our debit cards, which has a different association here versus the States as well. And so there's differences in how that's treated. Some banks allow it, some banks don't. So if it goes to the provincial level, if you're with bank A, can you play? If you're with bank B, maybe you can, like there's so many different moving parts that there's just been zero clarity offered, but we know it's coming. We know it's going to start in Ontario. Um, It'll begin in Toronto. That's the hotspot where everyone's going to be trying to go. And then it'll roll out elsewhere along the way. Um, But just in a quick foresight for what I see, it's probably going to be a giant mess like it was in many states. Um, I don't see us doing anything better initially. I don't know if we'll ever do anything better regardless because we just don't have the population to really dictate massive innovation and things like that. So it's just a lot of wait and see. But my positioning now is really having all of the resources in my corner to do something great for the users and sort of be that spot that's initially the bridge for a lot of the legalization, but more importantly, a lot of users within the U S as well, who use our site. 
Yeah, and you have such a good grasp of where things stand in Canada. And I'd love to touch on the U.S. as well, because when you were on the business of betting with Jake, that was pre-PASPA repeal. I think the two of you discussed like a culture of resistance to gambling at the time. And now that PASPA has been repealed and obviously you having a lot of knowledge on not just both sides of the counter, but a lot of the technology that powers the space. Um, how would you say things are looking just high level um, for your neighbors to the South here in the United States? Well, it sucks. I haven't, I haven't been there in almost a year. So I've missed a lot of sort of the new things that are popping up. There's just not enough access to it over here. Um, my sense just reading, watching, consuming articles, things like that, is that that culture of resistance is changing to an extent. Um, we haven't really seen the full spread of potential consolidation that's going to happen among a lot of these sports books. I think that's inevitable. Um, and I, I still don't feel like there's really that many people focused on what the consumer ultimately wants. I think that's been largely neglected and the focus has really been on purchasing the attention or money of those consumers to bring them in as customers into brands. And so it's, it's hard for me from this distance and sort of disconnected for a little while now um, to really fully grasp where it's at. I have a pretty good idea, but I, I still feel like it's probably a ways away from that shift going over to the consumer side of it and really tailoring things to what they want. But from like my view and now being, being working with a Canadian company, but being owned by a very large conglomerate of companies in the gaming space from the UK, um, they're very much, they went through everything there over the last two decades in the UK and the parallels between all of the issues faced in the UK and what the U S is facing are really identical they're just happening in the u.s a lot quicker because the tech now versus 2000 to 2005 in the uk is obviously drastically different and so it's interesting to see how both countries are and regions are following very similar trajectories in that sense and so i think we're going to con continue to see that we're going to continue to see people spend obnoxious amounts to try acquire customers eventually that may ultimately hit a dead end and it's going to become valuable to focus on what the consumers want and focus on that experience. It's a ways away, but I think that's inevitably where it's going to be headed, but there's a long time to go. Yeah, for sure. One more thing I wanted to touch on that I, I think could be a little bit related before uh, touching more on the betting space. But um, when we're talking about the legalization, just that part of the industry, um, I also wanted to, note that you have some experience with game development on the casino side of things. And you've talked about that a lot on the Better Life podcast, but I'm wondering if you could give maybe just a quick overview of that experience. And then specifically for props and hops, I'm curious as to any impact that that may have had on you as a better, if there was any, or anything you think that it could um, be useful for people to know about how the sausage gets made. Oh, from the product side. Interesting. Um, I'll answer it while I'm thinking about it. I can do that multitasking. Um, sure. So I was, I was a product manager for a gaming company out of Vancouver for two years alongside very aggressively betting. Um, 
And it was involved first in the poker space with an electronic poker product that was put into more than 25 casinos in the U.S., Italy, France, the Caribbean, dealt with multiple of the largest cruise lines. So was really immersed in that space, then got into the more regulated slot environment um, within U.S. casinos, uh, Did a, tried to bring... Candy Crush into the world of slot games and had a really good product with that and built a really good math model and paid table around it. Um, company that I was working with ultimately didn't have the resources to push that out. Also did really good things with a blackjack terminal, um, which oddly enough started out as like a, a chase to make a video poker product, but pivoted to blackjack because of patent issues and made a really good gesture and touch controlled blackjack table or blackjack terminal that supported one player at a time and, and got really deep into that. Um, and again, it was just the company and the time and the financial crunch that they were under. It just, it ne they never had the resources to push it up. And so I'd say through that, like my sort of biggest learning experience was just getting a grasp for how a lot of these companies that, tend to get criticized on a daily basis on social media for these being these large gaming companies, uh, sort of how they operate, what it's like on the other side of that, how different that is versus what sort of being chucked around in conversation. So that was certainly interesting, but just learned a lot about just the psychology behind what makes these machines as effective as they are and why we see the revenue around penny slots through the roof and sort of the science that goes behind how players are positioned at machines and tracking eye movements and focus points and just a lot of things like that, which was fascinating to learn about and then implement. But uh, as it ties back to sports betting, not a lot like directly. Um, I'd say probably the one, the one thing that, really stood out and that was just dealing with these casino operators and everything was not not just the cruise lines which had their own play in mind but like casinos in southern california and in nevada and things like that there was a very strong wealth of expertise around table games and slots everyone within all these locations do everything about it and then sports betting was like this disconnected thing that sort of happened and there was never a spot where I went to that – well, let's rephrase it. Everywhere I went to wanted sports betting. But none of the places actually wanted to do it, nor did they have the expertise to provide it. And I think that's sort of reflective of the current state of the U.S. industry where there's a lot of people doing it and a lot of places that want to have it, but not a lot of places that have the expertise to do it well. And that sort of ties back into what I was saying about like giving what the, giving the user what they want. And for a lot of these places, like they would, I would get into discussions because when we we're doing installations or anything like that, because it interests me. And it was like, yeah, we want to do a deal with this website or this sports book or this company, but it's just, it's hard because everything's slow moving and we want to get it in and we'd be doing it ourselves, but we just don't have the expertise and it's too expensive to hire and, and things like that. And so it was interesting to see how 
Like you could be on a casino floor and be talking with the manager of the floor and they could tell you every single last detail about every machine and the cables inside and the power requirements and the wiring and the networking and everything about the table games and all the placements. And then it would come to like sports betting, which the owner of the casino wanted to happen right there on the floor. And like everyone was like, yeah, I don't really know. And so it's, it, it's interesting in that regard. And it, again, it just all sort of is reflected in what's going on. So that's, that's really the only sort of tie back from that time on the product side to sort of sports betting in general, I'd say. Yeah, I think it's a, a good connection. I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to touch on something in the betting space that you already kind of mentioned, but you've talked about whether it's giving the betters what they want, giving the users what they want on the casino gaming side. I have heard you in the past talk about doing something different when it comes to the content side of things, not being the same as giving betters what they want. So I think that's a really interesting way to look at it and maybe suss out where some opportunity could be. And to that end, do you have a sense from like, you know, making that clarification and and then approaching things the way you do, have you put in some work to start to figure out what you think betters do want and how people can do a better job of delivering on that. Was that a segue into the interview that you did with me? Is that where this is headed? Uh, We can definitely touch on it. I think that was something that I've heard you mention. Uh, This would have been possibly better life for business of betting podcast, but you know, it's all, it's all kind of related. There's, there's a lot of overlap here. We might be looking at a pretty big, nice Venn diagram. Yeah. So like I, I was given, the task at covers of producing an odds product and odds obviously from like a search keyword perspective is gigantic and every there's not a company on earth that doesn't want to be number one for NFL odds. Right. So like with the ads and everything taken aside, the goal is to get to that number one for NFL odds. So it's like, how do we get there? And the same for NBA and MLB and everything. And so I started just doing user interviews getting betters on the phone for 15 minutes and being like, what do you currently use? What do you want to be using? What does it look like? How do you use it differently during the day? Do you use desktop? Do you use mobile? What is, like just trying to understand it. And as I was doing this, I found very clearly that there's an expectation that betters have for a new product they're going to or a new website. And then there's very, very, is often the case, the exact opposite of what they really want to have. And so a lot of answers that I was getting, like it was really hard to get people to be honest and selfish because everyone was sort of conditioned to be like speaking for other people because what's out there right now doesn't work for them. So they'd be like, well, you know, betters would want to see this and they want to see this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like what do you want to see from a product like this? Like don't, I don't worry about the other people. Like what do you want? And they're like, well, I want this, but I don't think it would happen. And I'm like, we're, we're having this call so it can happen. And it was, for a lot of people, like really different and refreshing. And so I've done a few dozen of these interviews now and I'm just compiling this mass sheet of information and putting sort of classic product development practices to it that I've sort of learned along the way. And it's been really, really effective of not only figuring out what people want, but like really defining the language and like how users speak about these products and the words that they use 
and how they're so drastically different between hearing people explain what they're doing versus hearing people explain what they want and be like, it, it's two completely different things. And so that's, that's really how I'm sort of working on that side of it right now. Yeah. And I think it was awesome to be part of the few dozen interviews you've done and getting a sneak peek at the odd screen that I think will be coming pretty soon. It was so cool getting the chance to provide some feedback. It, it looked really promising. So you mentioned the fact that everybody is trying to become, you know, number one at this. There's so much search volume and, and there's a, a lot at stake for somebody who can really pull off the best type of odd screen. And for people who are listening to this that might be familiar with a few betting odd screens right now, how would you describe the value proposition maybe? Um, again, we just touched on like doing something different isn't necessarily giving betters what they want. But in this case, there is room to do things that are different that align with what betters want. How do you see um, what you're doing with covers kind of filling that void that's currently in the space? Well, it's, it, it's going to be based off what people want first. But second, it's not going to cost them a penny to use it either. And so it's, it's fortunate to be in a spot where there's not like a gigantic monetization strategy around it to begin. Um, and it's not been made clear that that's ever going to be something that's going on. So like it's, we're truly looking at it as saying what a betters want, what a users want and how can we give them and create exactly what that is for them. And so we think that given our position within sort of the industry and, like the forum has been around for years and everyone at some point within their betting cycle has most likely visited the forums. There's a ton of useful information all around it. Um, and, and we're looking at it as okay. Now we're in a spot where there's a lot of eyes in the industry. There's a lot of people wanting specific products, like let's listen and let's build them. And so there's a phenomenal team of people over there that are doing just that. And they're making really, really good things that are useful. So I think that, that void that we can ultimately fill is going to be done by just listening and understanding and, and making what actually works and not sort of gouging people for it like other companies tend to be. Yeah, well, you clearly have a lot of good experience and I think a, a really healthy approach of you know just connecting with people and instead of making assumptions about what they want, really digging into it intentionally. And I think we could certainly use more of that when it comes to the betting content landscape and somebody who I think really, really mastered this space. I want to make sure we connect on uh, David Malinsky. I'd love to hear from your perspective a little bit about, um, you know, what, what you got out of listening to Dave's stuff. Um, just kind of, I, I know that when we first connected, you mentioned his VEASAN appearances were just like the best thing that VEASAN has ever done. Um, when it comes to, somebody like that who really mastered the space. Do you have just any thoughts in general on Dave and his impact on you, I guess, as a better and also as somebody who's also doing cool things in the betting content space? I got, I got dogs going after each other. I wish it was more, <laughs> honestly. I, I never got to meet him in person. And it, it, I'll probably look back years from now, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, and say that was probably one of the handful of people that I wished that I got to meet along the way. And I guess for me, the origins of it were probably, boy, I'd say like 15 years now. Um, Gabe Morenci and Cam Stewart, Canadian broadcasters, they had a 
show on Hardcore Sports Radio on Sirius XM. And I had this for Christmas. I got like a like the boombox player where you put the little radio on it. So I take the radio out of the family van and I'd put it on there and I'd listen from like four till five after school to the show. And I, I drive. This was the afternoon one. I can't remember game on. I think it was called. Um, and they would do the segments and they would have like the sports memo guys on. So it was like the, um, Teddy Sabransky, Steve Merrill, um, all those guys who are classics within the industry. Um, and then they would go to Brian Blessing, who was brilliant, and like his segments were always great. He was talking about the Sabres and hockey and everything, and it was awesome. But they would cut to Dave Malinsky, and he would be on a couple times a week, whatever it was. And like you would be, it would just be on in the background, and you would be doing whatever, watching the ticker on the TV, watching highlights playing poker on like whatever it was. And then it would cut to him. And there was just like a turn kind of moment where you just stopped. And you're like, it was just something, not only just like his presence, but like the way that he would articulate his points in a way that you could be the most experienced better ever or someone just starting and like get it immediately. Like no one's ever been able to capture the, that wide of a spectrum of an audience like he was able to. And I reading what people say about him and like how he was respected within Las Vegas in the industry, like you heard that from all the different sides too. So it wasn't just like a, how he was on air and that persona, like it was who he ultimately was. And I, I, there's never been anyone that's able to speak as well as he did. And I don't think there's ever been anyone who's been able to write as well as he did. Like some of those threads on SBR will go down as some of the greatest threads ever written. And like I was ahead of this interview, like I went and it's unfortunate. I don't know if YouTube gets rid of videos or what, but there used to be a lot of his clips. And now there's just like a handful from his time with pregame. And it was him and Teddy going back and forth. There's like a college clip. There's an NFL clip as well. And like that college clip, I think it was a USC and somebody. It was like a, a spot that he was talking about. And he goes on like this three-minute discussion about just, again, like just super simplistic stuff that you hear. And you're like, how can I be so stupid that I was overthinking this? Like this makes so much sense. And it's so right. Like why was I thinking about all of this other garbage when this is like, real life stuff right here in front of me. Like, how did I miss that? And I, I find that as I get older, years are piling up now, but like I really gravitate towards that stuff that like makes you feel like an idiot when you listen to it because you're like, how was I not thinking about that? And like he did that every single appearance he was ever on anywhere and was just brilliant at it. So I, I there'll never be someone else like him. He was just brilliant in what he did. And I think, Anyone in the content space can learn from that for sure. Yeah, couldn't agree more with any of that. Very well said, and, and thanks for sharing it. And when you touch on his, both his appearances, you know, on camera or on radio, but also how he wrote, um, it was just the stuff of legend. I remember there was a, an NBA Finals, it was probably during that span where it was LeBron against the Warriors every year. And he would weave in Shakespeare and he'd write a, a point blank column with parallels between LeBron and King Lear. 
And he was just doing things at a level. And, and again, though, it wasn't like he had to be a Shakespeare scholar to under a Shakespeare scholar. There you go for a tongue twister to understand what he was getting at. Um, it, it was just the kind of thing where you, if you wanted to get really deep and nerd out on it, it was there was a lot of substance there. If you just saw, oh, this is a cool parallel. He's he's looking at it through a lens that nobody else out there is presenting. And I think part of that was he could just consume all kinds of content and, and come away with really meaningful takeaways that he could distill down to terms that would be, again, approachable for anybody. And I guess to that end, I'd like to ask you about, um, you know, reading and how, you know, a lot of people only think about the, you know, the content space. It's like what shows or podcasts or, you know, websites to go to people to follow on Twitter, but a lot of content might not even be directly related to betting and it can help. I mean, Dave would talk about unwinding at night reading Sophocles and that just blew me away. You know, I only ever touched that stuff when I was forced to, to, you know, keep going in school and he would find ways to, you know, get, get some insight there that could apply to betting and, and so many other walks of life. So I also gather that you do a lot of reading. That's not just, you know, books about sports or betting. It seems like you've done a decent amount on behavioral economics from what I gather. And to that end, are there any books that you personally have read that may or may not be about sports or about betting, but they have come to help you in those areas? Uh, I'm, I'm glancing over to the bookshelf right now. The the one that jumps to my mind, which is just the strangest connection ever, not, maybe not as strange as Dave's there. Um, the, the book is called The Checklist Manifesto. And I, I couldn't tell you the author that wrote it, but it was written by a surgeon. And he goes through, like he talks about how as a surgeon, they had to follow these like certain procedures. And it wasn't because they didn't know what the procedures were, but it was just because in your daily routine, you get so used to doing things that you tend to miss really little small details, especially when they're, they're not sort of in plain sight and you just get on like this routine and do it. And so he goes through, he talks about surgeons, he talks about airline pilots and gives out like these whole bunch of different examples. I think miners are in there too. And it's just all of these people that have done all of these things and these little tasks that seem irrelevant for years and years and years. And how once this basic checklist was installed and you're like, well, how could that like help anything like efficiency and performance goes through the roof because it eliminates all that room for error. And so it's a fascinating book just because it's interesting as hell. But then you start to think about betting and all these things where you just get so used to like seeing teams be a certain way and perform to a certain standard that you just get sort of used to it. And you miss like these little angles like Dave would bring up so many times. But sort of those things I'm talking about were like, how can I be so dumb that I missed that? And it's just sort of like a way to sort of think about like keeping fresh uh, and not sort of making those simple mistakes as well. So that book was really good. And if you have sort of the imagination, I guess, to sort of extend your head around how that can apply to betting, not only an interesting read, but that's pretty cool as well. Um, a couple I've read this year, I'm looking over Atomic Habits by James Clear was great. Not like a huge betting tie-in, but just like that 1% improvement idea. It, it's just a valuable way to live for life or where you're sort of defining what you are rather than really defining your goals. So that's been just a nice refresher overall. Um, Think Again by Adam Grant was great. Um, it just talks again about how you get sort of 
used to thinking a certain way and you never really challenge it. So that one was really good. Um, those, those three are jumping out on me. Uh, one that's stock related. What I learned losing a million dollars, it was a really, really good story, but talks about like just getting too comfortable with where you are and ultimately like pitfalls and chasing and things like that. So it's a, a story about an investor that lost a ton of money after being super successful. So I never made that much money, but certainly parallels that I relate to, but um, yeah, it's a really good book too. But those, those four are the ones that come top of my mind right now. They're all really, really good. Awesome. Yeah. I feel like we're speaking the same language here because atomic habits was, I think my, my first big, uh, you know, quarantine read uh, when the pandemic hit. And it was also just a, a great time to start fine tuning some habits when, you know, options to get out and do a lot of things were limited, but um, yeah, that definitely has some parallel to betting. I like the mix of the four books you mentioned because some of them might have more direct tie-ins, but others, you know, even if something seems totally unrelated, you can almost always make some sort of connection. And I mean, it's as if you were reading my mind because I, if you didn't mention Think Again by Adam Grant, I was going to, because <laughs> I've heard you talk about, you know, the way he, he phrased it in the book, people can think as preachers, prosecutors, or politicians. Those are three modes that um, most of us spend a lot of time in. And for context, a preacher, that, that preacher mode is basically trying to convince people that we're right. Prosecutor mode would be trying to prove someone else wrong. And politician mode would be trying to win an audience's approval. So um, I, I think that there's a lot there that relates to, again, this whole betting content space and many other walks of life. But before I dig into it a little further, I, I was curious, would you say between preacher, prosecutor, politician, is there one mode that you feel that you tend to gravitate toward and spend more more of your time operating in? Uh, I was probably a prosecutor for a very long time. Um, I think now life circumstances probably more on the politician side, I would say. Um, but yeah, I was definitely on that other side. But I mean, that that what that first chapter is to the last letter. Everyone involved with sports betting on Twitter. Every single person could be put in one of those. And as you read it, you're like, oh, that's that guy. Oh, yeah, that's that. Like every single one can be put in there. So it's <laughs> definitely relatable in that sense for sure. Yeah, I think this is pretty well-rounded then. If you're talking about being a, a prosecutor in the past, more of a politician now, um, I can fall more into preacher mode. And I, I think it's good just to be aware. It's okay. Like there's not a right or wrong answer to this and people can certainly dip in and out of lanes. It's not just like you're always one of those three things and you can't be at either of the other two. But I think most of us just naturally gravitate toward one area or the other. But an alternative mindset that Adam Grant introduced was also being, instead of a preacher, prosecutor, politician, trying to think more like a scientist and putting humility over pride and curiosity over conviction. And there, I think we might be able to have some strong relevance to betting because it's it's a constantly evolving space. And if you're, again, we've talked about humility throughout this conversation and um, just being curious for any new angles or, or how to keep any edges that you have and play for as long as possible. And so to that end with, you know, with the vein of think again, are there any aspects to your, you know, broad betting approach that you've been rethinking recently? All of it. <laughs> after last season all of it i mean it was so bad last year um 
No, I'm just I'm really trying to go back to just being as basic as possible. And somewhere along the way, I just became far too complicated for anyone's good. And now it's just a matter of just really trying to dial it back. Yeah, I think there's a, another Adam Grant line, but uh, elegant simplicity comes to mind. Like he, he's made the point that sometimes, you know, it's, it's easy to overcomplicate things and maybe you can sound really smart along the way. And if you're too simple with things on the other end of the spectrum, then that might not be adding value. But the way he put elegant simplicity, it's like that sweet spot of not leading anybody on too long, but also, you know, just delivering on what matters most. So I really like trying to take the approach in that direction. And to that end, um, you mentioned earlier, like there's just so much noise out there in the space. And, and one of my goals with this podcast is just to sort of filter out the noise and isolate the signal. And I'm wondering how you do that in a, you know, a day and age like this, where there's unprecedented access to information, but unfortunately, a lot of it's not great. And you mentioned like on Twitter, a best practice could be making lists that are curated for, you know, certain teams or sports or betters to follow for certain areas. But do you have much of a process that you think about when it comes to filtering out the noise and, and really honing in on the signal with so much going on in the betting content side of things? Not really. Like I've stopped caring about a lot of it. Like I always had to be like in every conversation and following and keeping up to date. And I'm like, this is not doing me any well. Like who cares? Um, so like, yeah, I, I've just, I'm so less active and involved in so much stuff and it's, I'm a lot better off for it um, for sure from that perspective. So no, like I'll have my, I like to follow the certain people that I follow and look for, for NFL chat. And I listen to their shows and um, just sort of uh, just follow things that I like and people that I like to follow and just go with it. And I'm not concerned that I'm not following so-and-so because it'll, because I'm not following him and he's following me or I'm not jumping in conversations to drive home a point and be right. Like I've just stopped caring and it's great. And so, um, my timeline's pretty slim, but it's pretty useful. Yeah, I love it. I guess the uh, the mindset of being a preacher can be pretty burdensome when you're always trying to jump in every conversation. And, oh my and God. Prove a point. I don't know how, how do, like, how do these people have the energy to do it? Like, there's, there's some stuff that's great. Like, yeah, we need more people to say that, but like, the the willingness to like jump into other people's threads and like try convince them they're wrong in 140 characters. Like, come on, it's not. It's just, it's too much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on the on the bright side of things, are there any trusted sources that you'd recommend people, whether it's somebody to follow on Twitter or a podcast to listen to or any anybody's work to read? Are there any key sources that you think do a really good job of providing content that really hits home when it comes to the, the signal versus the noise? Lots. Um, I Let's go through a whole bunch. Um, I hope I don't miss anyone. So I guess just recently what's coming to mind and kind of glancing over to my phone. So TA, um, Clev TA, like probably the most underrated football betting follow on Twitter, I would say. I don't think that's like an unfair statement as I get a phone call coming in. But he, the stuff he's doing is great. And I think now that he's kind of become like the face of Warren's book to an extent, um, I guess Dan too, but like – his win total stuff was great. So he's, he's phenomenal. Um, 
I, and again, you've you've had him on recently too. I think Hitman and some of his props and things that he's awesome. And I think it's unfortunate because he's um, sort of associated with like whatever site he works for, and he gets that negative sort of rub from it. But um, he's awesome, and the stuff that he does around props, some of that, those those playoff props. I, these dogs are driving me nuts. They're squeaking in the background. The little one's got the toy. I apologize for that. Um, he, no problem. You've been so generous with your time. I'll let you get back in, to them in soon. In the playoffs, the prop stuff he did was great. I wish he did more content. It's unfortunate that he doesn't. Um, so those two jump out like immediately to mind. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, he's now like taken that media step. And so he's kind of everywhere now. But for a, he still is great. But for a long time, I thought he was really underrated for follows. Um, Drew and Andy, I, they're like the two people that walk that line between like we were talking about the spectrum and how many people can cater to the wide variety of it. They do a great job of doing it. Um, I don't unfortunately listen to as many episodes start to finish as I wish that I could just time wise. But anytime they're doing quick hit appearances, Andy's early show whales on everything. And I always try to keep up with them because they're fantastic. Um, let's keep it going. Uh, Rob and Johnny, for sure. Canadians have to give them their support. But they they cater to that higher level brilliantly. And, and Rob's stuff on Sunday morning is as good as it gets for NFL. Um, Suma. It's fantastic as well. He's starting to do a lot more content too. Does not get the attention he deserves. Although I guess that's changing from the betting side. A lot of people are noticing the success he's having and his stuff is really starting to move a lot of different places elsewhere. So that's really, really good to see. Um, who else am I missing? That was like a good six or seven in terms that's of a, shows. That's a like, solid overview. That those are like I guess like Twitter followers are like guys that I go out of my way. There's more, but I'm I'm worried that the dogs in the background are squeaking too loud and it's ruining the audio. So I'm bit just shaken up by that. <laughs> get there. I'm trying to get him with my feet and he keeps running by. Um, that those are like Twitter follows. In terms of like shows, like whether we admit it or not, we all listen to Todd and Payne every week. No one ever gives their show credit because we like to listen to it and then be like pretend we take nuggets from it and then we're smart about it when we're using it in other conversations. And I don't know why that is, but um, bet the board's still as good now as it always was the way they break it down. Although it's really slanted towards Warren Sharp stuff too, but like we all listen to it. Nobody ever talks about it, but it's great. And we have to start to start admitting that as a sort of a collective audience, but that's during football season, like a show that I'll go to because they summarize everything very well. Um, a lot of the VEASAN stuff from Mitch and Polly, although I, there's some stuff going on with the latter half there, but um, they're good. Gil, of course, is phenomenal uh, with everything that he does. The Megapod is great, but then like his show, he's able to, to, to talk, like he represents the sharper side of the community so well, but then still, again, doesn't sort of go so one-sided that he neglects the rest of it. So he, he's another one of the very few people that managed to do both sides. So Gil and his stuff is phenomenal. Um, really like him. And what else do I get to on a weekly basis? There's more. It'll come up as we go. I don't know how much longer you're going to keep me on the show before cutting me off. But um, those are – if you're not listening to those, um, 
you're missing out. I'm sure a lot of people listen to most of them, but um, I couldn't recommend those higher. Yeah, I think that's an awesome overview, and I would I would put your work with the simple handicap, you know, up there with some of the best content people can find. And even though the results last year were not where you'd like them to be, I think the process was so good, and there's so much that people can learn beyond winning and losing specific bets. Um, just when when you can find the right people who really think about things the right way, uh, there will be winning or losing weeks, months, years for everybody. But, but in the long run, I, I think a sound process prevails. And, and the way that you've been doing stuff with the simple handicap for a few years now has just been awesome. So I want to also make sure that we touch on that when, when we're talking about shows that people should be, uh, you know, baking it as part of their media diet, so to speak. And with the show coming back now, I believe this is the fourth season that you're doing it. Um, Thinking to just the starting point, how did you get the idea to do the simple handicap? And um, how would you just, you know, maybe in 30 seconds or so, describe the approach that you take to it? I've got a couple more. I just opened up Twitter as you were talking. Um, Dave Sherapan, awesome. And the stuff he does with cash considerations, he's really good. Uh, LVC, Las Vegas Chris, um, his, his VSIN appearances are phenomenal. But he's starting to do more stuff on his own. And so that's going to be fun to watch this year because he's very much on that side of like never really certain about a lot of things, but like really makes you think. So that's that's another guy that I would mm-hmm. throw out there as well. And then um, two more that popped up. Um, I just pulled up my followers. Um, Connor Allen and Ryan Noonan, they do a show together. Uh, and that's I, I enjoy that quite a bit as well. So that's. There's still more, but those are a couple more. Um, the, awesome. the, the, the simple handicap, it was an Alexa skill uh, in like 2016 when not a lot of people had Alexas. And so it was super short. And then the idea was to illustrate that sentence by sentence process. Uh, and then it just, I was like, okay, I'm getting like eight listens a morning on these Alexa devices. I, I should have kept going and I'd be in a better spot now, but kind of punted and then turned it into a podcast and it just kind of extended from there. Awesome. And I know that a couple of things people might be familiar with from years past that won't be part of the show this coming year, the text message service and the Slack channel. Um, What would you, I mean, just because they're not coming back doesn't mean that they didn't, you know, have value or, or fill some sort of purpose. So I'm curious as to any lessons you learned by running the text message service last year or having a Slack channel for a little while, even though they won't be back in the fold um, how do you look back on those experiences and how might that still inform what you do with the simple handicap moving forward? Whoever figures out how to do text first will be wildly successful. I, I've tried to do it for like a year and a half. It just, I could never get it to click. And so whoever does that is going to kill it and someone's going to figure it out because I, like, I think now we're even to the point where like you get a phone call and for the most part, you're annoyed that someone's phoning you. Mm-hmm. You're like, come on, just text me. Like it's where we all communicate and nobody's been able to like crack that from a content perspective. So someone's going to do it and they're going to be wildly successful doing it. I, I tried as much as I could. Cause I was like, this is going to work. I got the platform from a company in California and I was able to do a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm like, I just, I, it was one of the things I just couldn't get to click. And so whoever does it is going to do well, but 
I think from that, I just learned that like brevity within content is extremely important, which is kind of the point of the show that I do every morning. And so I thought that would work better than I did, but it didn't. Um, but yeah, whoever does that well first is going to get it. Like we open every text message we get, like nobody's avoiding, you might avoid it for a little while, but like you're opening it. You think about email now, like you're only reading a couple of emails that come into your inbox max. Otherwise you're just swiping and deleting or archiving. It's whoever does text is just going to explode. And I hope they have better ideas than I did. So that's that's my stance on on text. Um, Slack channel, it's it was super valuable. Like even with it being a paid service, like we were running at over five hundred members. We had meetups. We had people getting together. I think that that to me just illustrated the want for people to communicate in a civilized manner about sports betting. Like we went for three and a half years, and there was maybe among 500 people from 15 different countries, like two or three arguments that I can think of in my mind that came up between like members within the channel. Like it was, it was awesome to run. Um, and and get, like Twitter is the worst place to communicate ever in the worst method possible. And like, we're all there and I get it. There's a tension there. Sure. But like, you're not really learning about people and having a valuable conversation unless you're doing it in a format where you can actually express yourself. And so that's why podcasts are popular. That's why that live communication Slack channel was popular. And that's why stuff like that's going to continue. Um, and as the dog climbs up on the kitchen counter, <laughs> there we go. So it's, yeah, um, that's definitely what I took away from both of those was like with the text being brief, with how you're expressing yourself. And then within the Slack channel, the live communication, people are very civil when they're just talking to each other in a manner that makes sense. Awesome. Well, Adam, we can start to wrap this up. You've been so generous with your time here as we come up on uh, about two hours. This will probably be a two-parter. You mentioned uh, brevity having a, an important role in this whole thing. So um, not going to do a, a huge two hour chunk with this. So over the next couple of weeks, people will get to hear this over two parts. And to take it home, you've touched on, you know, so many valuable insights, but I like to ask um, people in positions like yours, what advice you might have for somebody who, I don't know if the right term is a rec plus better or an aspiring sharp, but basically people who have multiple accounts and they shop lines and they listen to conversations like this to try to find edges, but you know, they might be good betters, but they're not on the brink of going pro. So they're somewhere in between there. What would some of your top advice be to betters in that position? Man, I'd say it changes so often. Um, because like, I think that I'm able to sort of say it through experience, but like where I am now, like the thing that's, that's most active in my mind right now is just don't, wildly overthink and overcomplicate stuff like there's there's something to be said about keeping things super super basic and consistent and i just again i just recently was sort of lost along the way within that and i think the show and content that i do this year is going to be significantly better than years past uh when i did exactly that every single morning and i think the betting results will show from that too but um that's that's really sort of where I'm at within all of this. Just you don't always have to be certain. There's nothing wrong with listening to other people and just try keep things 
basic and don't overthink what doesn't need to be overthought. On brand from the man who hosts the <laughs> Simple Handicap Podcast. So we can go ahead and uh, make sure to plug your work and then get on out of here. But on Twitter, at Adam Chernoff, Simple Handicap, recently returned for season four, so people can catch that every weekday morning through the playoffs. Currently, I believe you're going to be previewing one team a day to get things rolling again. Is there anything I'm missing or anything you'd like to add? No, I got nothing else. Um, as we continue to work through... Some of the stuff on the other side, I'll definitely be sharing that out publicly. But um, for now, the only thing that I've got going is just the show every morning. So it's a team of day till the season kicks off, and then it's every day during the season. I, I'm i not going to be doing weekends for the team previews throughout August because nobody's listening to podcasts at 6 in the morning on Saturday or Sunday. Um, and I'll probably ditch Saturday during the NFL season just because it's historically been the lowest downloaded episode. And now that I'm kind of doing other things, it's not – um, full go every single day. So there'll be at least six days a week during the season, every morning, every weekday for sure, uh, as well as every Sunday morning. And then throughout the month of August, there'll be team previews every day to get you ready for the season. And uh, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's super short, eight to 12 minutes. And that's, that's all it is every morning. Yeah, love it. Can't wait to have that back in the routine. Adam, I want to thank you again. I'm looking forward to the Simple Handicap uh, pretty much every day through the playoffs. And uh, hopefully in the meantime, we can find a way to get together, uh, whether it's Vegas or California or your neck of the woods. Um, yeah, would love to meet up and share a beer in person before too long. But for now, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for hopping on the show. Thanks very much for having me on and keep doing what you're doing. You're almost 60 episodes in now. So hopefully if there's another it can add a zero to that um, in the not too short term future because you've had some phenomenal guests and are really capturing the space well. So keep it rolling. Awesome. Thanks. Greatly appreciated. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely keep it rolling and uh, can't wait to share this conversation with everyone. Thanks again. Goodbye. Thanks again to Adam for being so generous with his time and insight. If you enjoyed our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd be interested in a real-time conversation with me and the Dimers.com community of more than 700 fellow bettors and counting, join us for free on Discord. You can find a link in the show notes. One more note this week. Happy anniversary to my brilliant and beautiful wife, Allison, also known as Mrs. Props and Hops, also known as the unofficial executive producer of this show. It's safe to say that without her love and support, this show and the best things in my life wouldn't exist. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. Mm-hmm.